Welcome to The Vow, Voice of Women. Our mission has always been about empowering women through the sharing of real life stories. When women create a community through the journey of sharing, we gain empathy, forgiveness, and perspective. We encourage you to open your heart to receive today's story. today with Mrs. Jody Tilly. Jody, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> I'm so honored to have you here, Jody. And um, so Jody and I know each other socially. We have, I think, sphere of influence with entrepreneurial women in the city is quite small. And um, Jody is the owner of PHI Medical Aesthetics in, in Calgary, Alberta. And Jody's life took a very drastic turn in October 2021 when she was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer uh, with um, metastases to the lymph nodes. Recently, Jody and her family took a trip to California to relax and recoup after she finished her last round of chemo, only to visit her dermatologist for a routine checkup when she got home to discover new lesions of skin cancer that had formed. She is here today to share her journey through chemotherapy, the trials and tribulations that come along with treatment. I'm grateful that she is here to share with us her story and with our listeners. Her story is still incredibly raw and relatable as so many of us have been deeply affected by cancer, some directly and some indirectly. And Jody, I appreciate you taking the time to share such a pivotal time in your life to give others hope and what it's like to be an entrepreneur, mother and wife while handling the intricacies of fighting cancer. And I'm emotional to say that. Mm-hmm. I might get emotional too. Very honored <laughs> to have you here, Jody. So thank you. So. You were born and raised in Australia. Our listeners are going to hear this Mm -hmm. beautiful Aussie accent. So chat with us about what brought you to Canada. You know, I love my country. Um, I miss it terribly. I I never had the intention of leaving and living in a different country. I just wanted to travel. So right after I graduated university, I left and went on my pilgrimage to Canada. And I started in Banff and um, ended up spending a much longer time, more more than a year, traveling and skiing and, and being, being a ski bum as the Aussies do in Banff. And I had such a great time. Um, you know, as life happens, the, we have these what I call sliding door moments in our lives and serendipitous events that take us to the next phase of our life. And I, I had two of those when I was just traveling and, and living in Banff and living the life. And they led me to be here today. And they were just those split second moments that if I had made a, a different decision or gone left instead of right, um, I probably would not be living in Calgary today. But they happened and um, they, they're great because they led me here. And so I decided to uh, move to Halifax. I chased a boy and <laughs> as we do, and I ended up spending seven years in Halifax. Like that wasn't the plan. It was just to go visit him, see what happens. It, the boy didn't last long, but uh, but the country stuck with me and I made some really great friends and connections. I ended up going to postgraduate school in Halifax and then I was fortunate enough to get a working visa after that and was sponsored to stay in the country. And after a certain amount of time, I just decided I wanted to have the options and I became a permanent resident of Canada and I came back to Alberta. So yeah, there was lots of opportunity here um, and my, at the time, new boyfriend who um, ended up becoming a fiance, but Left me at the altar. That's another podcast. Oh, that is another podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a long time ago. Don't worry, I'm so over it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
Um, but now, yeah, my life just evolved here and I met my now husband and we had twins and his family is all here. And then, of course, as you know, we started by medical aesthetics and um, about four and a half years ago, we opened there. And so it's and it's taken off and my roots are here now and I miss Australia terribly, but I go back as much as I can. Mm. Yeah. Well, I have never been to Australia, but um, I hear a lot of great things about it. And I hear there's a lot of similarities, too, between Australia and Canada. So maybe that's why you, you know, gravitated towards Alberta and the mountains. And Yeah, I've always said the cultures between Australia and Canada are much more similar than even Canada and the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just, there's a, a mentality there that is very similar and familiar to me. And, and it was an easy transition. So what did you do then prior to opening Phi and how did you meet your bestie and business partner, Lisa? Yeah, that's a good question. We go way back. Um, So prior to Phi, um, I started out in Halifax working in information technology, quickly realized I was not meant to be a programmer, but I did love working with people. Um, And then opportunities came up to work in the medical um, IT field uh, as a a manager and, and a trainer of people. And spent many, many years doing that training, um, EMS and firefighters actually down in the US. And then I got an opportunity to move west and do the same job and I took it, but that just evolved into a natural evolution into medical surgical sales. And I loved it. I loved being in the operating room and in the surgeries and the hospitals and the travel was really fun. That was back in the days when we used to go to conferences in Paris and Rome and big um, sales events in Florida. It was a lot more fun back then. But uh, I spent 15 years as a medical sales rep, as a surgical rep in the, in the ORs. And I, prior to opening Phi, spent um, eight years as a plastic surgery rep working in breast cancer, in the area oh. of breast cancer. Yeah. Um, Lisa and I actually met like 27 years ago working at Earl's. We were Earl's girls. You were yeah, Earl's, Earl's girls. girls. Yes, I know. I Don't we look it. like Earl's girls? <laughs> back in Banff and we spent two years there together working as Earl's Girls and she and I formed a bond that was pretty special and became besties way back then and she has been one of my best and closest friends ever since and you know I was how we started FI was uh, she's been a, um, a medical injector for about 13 she's going on her 13th year and I am a consumer of medical injectables <laughs> and have been since my early 30s and she was my Botox injector and one day oh, wow. I was in getting Botox and she was having a really disgruntled day at work and and I was having a bit of a disgruntled day and I'd, I just had the twins and I I didn't want to um, oh yeah I have twins by the way <laughs> and I didn't want to be traveling all the time and leaving them and they weren't even two years old and um, my husband was uh, on on a morning show, a radio show, so he was leaving the house early. I just didn't have the ability to stay home um, with this job and didn't have the ability to travel. So you know, I was in there getting my Botox and she's like, you know what we need to do? We need to start our own boutique Botox clinic and do it like no one else in the city does it. Like just do it better than everybody else, but also create an environment, atmosphere that feels really welcoming to women and men but it feels like you're going to have a, a coffee or a tea or a glass of wine with your girlfriends on their couch versus walking into a medical clinical setting, um, but also to be the experts and to be the masters of our craft and, and just focus on that one um, specialty, which was is medical injectables. So 
We said, I said yes, hell yes, and we opened our doors about eight months after that conversation. Wow, and yeah. so the name Phi, and I think mm-hmm. I actually said P-H-I, but what is it, what is it Phi? Yeah, Phi, it's, it's really, um, it's not obvious, when, so it's kind, there's a bit of a story behind it. So Phi is the 21st letter of the Greek alphabet, and it's also the same symbol is used in a mathematical equation that we call the golden ratio. And the golden ratio is a ratio of 1 to 1.618. And when um, actually our brains are hardwired to see things with five dimensions as more aesthetically pleasing. Oh. So you could look, uh, here's an example, you know, if the, if the width of your head is a ratio of one, the height of your head should be 1.618 times bigger than the width in order to be perfectly phi dimensions. Okay. So we see phi dimensions in our lips, um, you know, in our nose, our eyes, from our eyebrows. There's, there's so many phi dimensions in our face. And, and, you know, when you look at a supermodel or um, someone from Victoria's Secret, you, you see them as aesthetically beautiful. And the reason is, because like I said, our brains are hardwired that way. We see all these five dimensions in people's faces and the more they have, the more beautiful they, they tend to look. Oh, ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. I learned movie something stars, today about Yeah, movie stars have a lot of phi dimensions okay. in their face. You don't just find it in beauty. You find it in architecture. You find it in nature. Like certain flowers have a lot of phi dimensions. and they, Symmetry. Symmetry is a yes. big part of phi. Yes, yes. exactly. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. I learned something new. Yeah. So when did you find out you had cancer and how quickly did you start treatment? Because I, I remember seeing you at, we were just talking about our nail place, which mm-hmm. we love, Uptown Nails. And then three weeks later, I saw a post of you all stitched up mm-hmm. from your operation, from your, from your colon. Yeah. And so it, it talked to us about that, how quickly that evolved. Yeah. So I found out at 43. 40- 4.36 a.m. on October 13th <laughs> wow. in in the emergency room that I had cancer. So uh, I'd been having symptoms and I'm very open about this. I want to talk to people and educate them about what to look for and the warning signs because had have I seen some posts like this, maybe I would have been a bit more proactive, but I really, cancer was the furthest thing from my brain. I'd been having uh, abdominal, really bad abdominal cramping for about six months. Of course, we were um, in the middle of a pandemic, and to get to see a specialist, it just it took months and months and months. In some cases, you were on wait lists for 12 months to two years, and I knew that if I went to my doctor and said, oh, I'm having abdominal cramping, he would refer me to a specialist, and it would be months and months. So I just decided that, you know, being a woman, we're so used to different abdominal cramping and... Um, <laughs> being tired and and all these things and so I didn't recognize these as symptoms of advanced cancer I just thought I'd develop some food intolerances and so I tried to figure it out myself and I was going on and off beets and on and off broccoli and on and off cauliflower and all these things that I used to love but I would get these abdominal cramping um, with high fiber meals so I'm typically a healthy eater and I love my salads and so the more fiber I used to put into my meal, the more pain I would experience. And it wasn't every day either. It was, in the beginning, I think it was like once every two weeks. But, but it was quite to the point that I would get home and I'd just have to lie on the couch for a couple of hours and, and let it pass. And, um, you know, I got the really sexy kind of cancer. I got the colon cancer. So I get to talk about, I, I talk about poo. <laughs> um, and I've learned to get over that. And just because one of the symptoms and... Um, 
that would have led me to, had I really known what it was, was a really big change in my bowel movements. Mm. Like in what way? Yeah, so, I mean, here we go. Let's get yeah, into the nitty-gritty. <laughs> May as well. For, this is for women. This is educational. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, since I've talked about this a little bit, I've had a number of people reach out on social media and say, can you talk to me a bit more about that because I'm seeing some of the same things. So that just, to me, is why uh, the reason why I feel so good about going public is that if I can help somebody else and prevent somebody else from going down this road of advanced cancer, then I want to share and I want to educate and I've got lots of plans going going on after this. I just finished chemo a few weeks ago. So, you know, once I get super healthy, my plan is to do a lot more education. But, um, you know, I was, the day after I'd had these really bad abdominal cramps and sometimes not even the day after, but just randomly, I would go from, and I'm a really regular person. I would wake up every morning and I would go. Me too. I'm a pooper. Yes. And I love to poop. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I love to poop now too. But um, I was a once a day, every morning, very regular. And what happened was I would start to get super constipated and not be able to go in the morning. And then it'd be about two or three days. And then I'd have these tiny little hard deer pellets. And I'd be like, oh, there's so much more. I'd feel like there's so much more in there. And I could just never really empty my bowels. Um, and then all of a sudden I would get a couple of days where I'd be like, I'd try, I'd try to eat more fiber because I thought, okay, this is going to come through. But what was happening unbeknownst to me is this tumor was blocking the passing of the bowel movement. So I couldn't push it all out. And um, I would get what I call pencil poops. So I'd go from constipation to pencil poops, which is just like long stringy little pencils that would come out. Wow, hard? No, they would, it would go from hard to soft. Okay. And, and honestly, I, I can't even tell you like based on what I'd eat, but I used to remember when I was constipated, I would really try and eat more fiber and that would cause often more pain. Mm. Um, but, and, and my husband kept saying, you should just go see the doctor. I'm like, yeah, I will, I will, but he's just gonna send me to a specialist. It's gonna be a food problem, don't worry, I'll figure it out. My mom was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis in her early 60s. So I also kind of had that in my mind, well, maybe I've got ulcerative colitis or, but you know, I've never had issues with food ever. I've been, I've always had a really iron gut. So never saw any blood and blood probably would have been for me a really big telltale. Like had have I seen blood? I think that would have been my flag to go yes, to the doctor to immediately, yeah. but I never saw blood. And um, so yeah, constipation, pencil poops, um, and then the pain over the course of the six months started to get more, a little bit more frequent. So maybe I'd get it like once a week now, maybe a couple times a week, but it was usually always at night. It was like at the end of the day, and quite often we'd go to my in-laws for a big meal on a Sunday and I'd come home and I'd say to my husband, I can't, I gotta lie down, you gotta put the kids to bed because I'm just having like a lot of pain right now. And um, I, I'd try and fart <laughs> just to get rid of the pain. and. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but then I would sleep no problem. Then right towards the end, I started getting really tired. He, he was saying to me, because I'd put the kids down around eight o'clock and I'd go fluff on the couch and I'd pour myself a glass of wine and put the bachelor on. And he'd come down five minutes later and I was sound asleep. And he'd be like, God, you, why are you falling? I'm a night out. Like I'm, I was up till 11.30 midnight every night prior to that. And I would just, I couldn't stay awake. I was just falling asleep all the time. I'm like, I don't know why I'm so tired, but I was exhausted come like eight o'clock. And sometimes I'd lie down with the kids and I'd fall asleep and he'd come wake me up and say, you fell asleep at eight o'clock with the kids. And um, yeah, so that was probably another sign, but that was, that was pretty much sort of the last month prior to my diagnosis. 
And then what led me to, to actually getting, ending up in the emergency room was Thanksgiving weekend. So it was Canadian Thanksgiving and we'd had back-to-back Thanksgiving dinner, dinners Friday and Saturday night. Both nights I went home, crazy pain. I remember even being at the dinner saying to my husband, I, I, I got to go home. I got to go home. This is really bad. I'd go home and I actually had some pretty um, strong narcotics, uh, painkiller narcotics at home. Tylenol wasn't cutting it, so I was popping like trauma set and different things just to get the pain down. And then it was waking me up, the, the, pain, the painkillers would wear off and it'd wake me up at two in the morning and I'd be up for like three hours in pain. I'd take the painkillers, they kind of worked, they kind of didn't. He kept saying, you got to go to the doctor. I'm like, okay, I'll go see the doctor on Tuesday. It's Thanksgiving long weekend. He's not going to be available. I'll go see our, our family doctor. But I, I wasn't thinking emergency at that point. Same thing, repeat Saturday night, repeat Sunday night. Monday was the holiday. And honestly, I said, I think I feel better when I'm moving. So let's go to Banff. So we drove to Banff. I said, let's hike Sulphur Mountain. So we, we drive to Banff. And I just remember the drive. Like I was keeled over just feeling like horrible abdominal pain. Oh, I should mention, I hadn't been to the bathroom since Friday morning. So I'm, it's Monday now and it's three days later, full bowel obstruction, couldn't get anything out, couldn't even pass gas, like no farts all weekend. And so my stomach was just getting more and more distended and hard and bloated. And I was still hungry. I, d- I hadn't lost my appetite. So I was still eating my regular size meals but as I, I, I mean, I started to look like I was having twins again. I was just really descended, really in pain, keeled over in the car, taking painkillers all weekend, hike Sulphur Mountain. We get to the summit. We take the obligatory family selfies and stuff, and, and we, we look like we're fine. But, you know, on the inside, I was really holding it in and trying to hold it together. And same thing on the car ride home. Same thing Sunday night, up most of the night, barely slept. Tuesday, that was Monday night. Tuesday came around, he's like, you got to go to the doctor today, call him, first thing. I said, okay, I'll go to work, I'll call the doctor, I'll go see him, I'll tell him I need it. I'll go to work and I'll call the doctor. Yes, yes. (laughs) So this is Tuesday morning, so I get to work and I ate my breakfast and my business partner, Lisa, walks into our office and I was pretty much in the fetal position in my chair, just could not move and she just looked at me, she goes, go to the hospital right now. So I went to the hospital. Now, this is where it kind of, kind of gets crazy. I, I looked at the triage times for all the hospitals because I was in so much pain. I'm like, I can't sit in triage for eight hours. Um, and Rocky View had like a one-hour triage time. So went straight to the Rocky View, ended up waiting for three and a half hours before I got taken in. But when I went in, I was really lucky because one of my girlfriends was working uh, as a nurse in the ER that day. And she came out to see me, could see how much pain I was in. And I was like, how much longer? How much longer? She's like, I don't know. It's just all of a sudden it's gotten crazy busy. And I'm, this is in the middle of COVID. And um, I don't know what wave we were in, probably the fifth wave at that point. So it was pretty busy at the hospital and um, understaffed. You know, they were, they were struggling. And I said, can you just give me something? Like, I cannot deal with this pain. I'm going to start screaming in a minute. So she gives me some narcotics and then I was in La La Land and then they bring me in. They put an IV in my arm. The doctor came and saw me and she said, I'm going to send you for an x-ray. So I go for an x-ray. I waited. Uh, I mean, I was probably there. I was probably on my ninth or tenth hour at this point and lots of drugs. So I wasn't feeling the pain, but I was exhausted. I could not stay awake. I kept drifting in and out of sleep. I had an IV in my arm. I was sitting in a comfortable chair. My stomach was out here. 
and she came in it was probably around 10 30 at night at this point and I went in around lunchtime and she said yeah you've got a bowel obstruction you can see it in the x-ray she shows me x-ray and she said there's a big big blockage backed up so that's probably the three days of food that you she said so I'm going to give you four liters of colite and I want you to drink the first half here and as long as you can tolerate it in the hospital you can go home and drink the rest of it and basically am I allowed to swear yeah shit your brains out at home (laughs) excuse me um and you'll feel better cue it I was like oh okay (laughs) trusting you know the word of the doctor and the expert so I drank about a liter and a half of it because you have to drink the first liter and a half in an hour and I'll just monitor you and I was so high on drugs I was just like okay so I'm drinking I'm drinking I was sitting next to a bathroom nothing's happening she said okay go home, you'll be more comfortable there and then it'll be explosive but you know, you're in your own home. So I actually Ubered home because my husband was asleep, uh, was put with the twins and couldn't leave them. I get home in an Uber, I basically, I walked in the door and the painkillers started to wear off the second I walked in the door and I was just like, oh, this is not good but I've got to drink the rest of this colite, this, this, this will help. So I'm forcing this horrible stuff down. I don't, I don't know if any anyone's had a colonoscopy here, but I'd never had one. My I, I was did. Yeah, Chad has. Yeah. Yeah. So it was. I was too young to be screened for a colonoscopy, and there was no family. I have no family history of cancer whatsoever, which is another reason why cancer was just so far from my thoughts. Um, and I'm drinking it, and I go lie down in bed, and I just start wailing, and and I, I've never felt pain like it I honestly felt like my stomach or my intestines were going to explode uh and and I mean I've had child I've been through childbirth and lots of pain and and this was like nothing I could describe so Ryan uh called his mum and he said Jody's got to go straight back to the hospital so she came over and got me woke them up it was 12 30 at night we woke them up I stumbled into that triage. There was no one, fortunately, waiting, but I didn't care. I started screaming, get me a doctor now. I was like literally thinking, I'm about to die because this pain is unbearable and there's something terribly wrong. But again, I just kept thinking, okay, it's a bowel obstruction, but they can fix that and and they'll figure out what food is causing this problem. So a new ER doctor was on. Um, I just said to him, no more x-rays, like, just do something, figure it out. What, what else can you do? And he's like, I'm sending you for a CT scan. So I go in for an emergency CT scan. I didn't get in there till 3.30 in the morning because, you know, they've got to call in the technicians and everything. They don't have a lot of people at the, at the waiting at that time in the morning. Um, I'd been awake, like, the entire night. And basically, for, this is, like, my fourth night of having, like, no sleep. And I was kind of delirious. Like, I was, like, mm-hmm. I feel like I was... A little bit like hallucinating a little bit delirious I've exhausted beyond exhausted more pain than I've ever felt and he said I'm gonna get you a bed so he puts me on a bed and I was lying there and he comes in and um, he says well my dear oh, I swear I might get emotional <laughs> um, we know what the blockage is and I was like oh thank fucking God like get rid of it how do we get rid of it and he said well I'm sorry to tell you, but you have cancer. You have a full tumor blocking your colon. And um, we are sending you in for emergency surgery right now because 
don't worry about the cancer. We're worried about your colon rupturing at this point. And if that happens, we've got some pretty serious issues on our hands because you can go septic pretty quickly when you've got poo floating around in your body um, and all those toxins. So get ready. Um, we're taking you in for emergency surgery right now. Like you've, you've, got, you've got some time. The team has to be called in. You have to be prepped. You know, um, there'll be a, an ostomy team coming in to talk to you. And I'm like, what the fuck? Ostomy? Like, no, no, no. And I just, I just looked at him, I'm like, I, I mean, I couldn't even believe it. I'm like, cancer and Jody Tilly, like those words don't go together. <laughs> like, no, 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 I, I'm in my 40s. Like, I don't, I don't have cancer. And, but, you know, he was so sure and the look on his face, I knew it was serious. And I just said, can I call my husband? And so he said, call your husband, tell him to get here as soon as he can. He... He had already left for work and uh, he was at his recording studio and I he answered the phone and uh, honestly, I, I've never even asked him, I was thinking about this today, I want to ask him like, what was that day like for you? Because I was just beside myself, but also it felt like an out-of-body experience. It was very surreal. I was like terror-stricken, but like I was watching this happen to somebody else because this, this can't happen to me. Um, and I told him, like, they know what it is. I've got cancer. And I think he just went silent and was like, no, no, that's not right. You haven't got cancer. He said something like that. I, I don't even remember. And I said, it's true, Ryan. I've got cancer and I'm going in for surgery and you need to get here as quickly as possible. So he just dropped the phone, left the station and, and was by my side in like 15 minutes. And um, next thing you know, we've got like 10 people in the room. We had multiple surgeons coming in to talk to us. We had the ostomy team saying, you have a 50-50 chance of waking up with a colostomy bag, um, but don't worry, they're usually reversible. You probably have it for 12 to 18 months. So there's lots of ways you can live with a colostomy bag. And I, I remember being more upset about that at the time than actually cancer. I'm like, no, 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 you don't get my lifestyle. Like, I'm not a big obese person sitting in a wheelchair with an ostomy bag hanging off. No, 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 like, I, I'm playing tennis on Monday. And... Uh, I've got these two kids and I can't, I can't wear an ostomy bag, like no way. Um, but that was the reality that about 50% of people wake up with one and it, it's not really dependent on anything except what your insides look like. So my surgeon was amazing. Actually, my surgeon was a previous client of mine when I worked in as a surgical rep um, and he came in to see me and it's like, Jody. <laughs> I was like, Rohan, what the hell are you doing? He's like, well, I'm doing your surgery today. So that made me feel better because I knew this guy um, and he's a very, very good surgeon. And he said, don't worry, we're going to take really good care of you. He said, but we just have to see what your your colon looks like before we decide whether or not an ostomy bag is, is uh, if you wake up with one, it's because it's what's the best thing for you because we couldn't get, the tissue might have been completely decimated by the cancer and we can't get good margins or we can't get a clear anastomosis. So let's just wait and see what it looks like and I'll do my absolute best. To, and I just remember being wheeled into that OR, saying goodbye to Ryan, being terrified and saying to the, to the surgeon as I was counting down from 10, please don't let me wake up with an ostomy bag. <laughs> So um, I had a really major surgery. They had to take out a foot and a half of my colon. My tumor was um, seven and a half centimeters um, oh. wide, but um, 
what it had also done is it had eaten right through my colon, right through to the other side. So it wasn't contained in my colon. It had decimated my colon. It just penetrated right through the wall of the colon. So I think I was really naive when I, I and the other thing I said is take pictures because I was a surgical rep. I love this stuff. I've got a gory mind. I'm like, yeah, I want to see all the blood and guts and, and take pictures. I want to see my colon. I want to see the tumor. I want to see the cancer. And... So I remember waking up and the first thing, the first thing I, I looked up and I said, do I have an ostomy bag? She has no colostomy bag. And I just remember feeling this sense of like, everything's going to be okay. I don't have a colostomy bag. I'm going to play tennis in three days. You know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be able to hang out with my kids and do things. And I don't have to worry about my bag farting when I'm in a quiet restaurant and you know, all these things. But this team had come in and educated me on what the, the ostomy and colostomy bag would look like. And I remember thinking, she said one of the things that, um, just, just remember, if you're in a quiet space or a quiet restaurant, your bag can fart. Like, it can make sounds like it's, sounds like it's coming out your bum. And I was like, no, well, I'm <laughs> never going to a quiet restaurant ever again. <laughs> just if I wake ones. up with that, just the loud ones, the louder the better, because I don't want anyone to hear my bag farting. Um, but, you know, you've got to find some light in the darkness. You do. <laughs> yes. So... The jokes will roll. But, yeah, I woke up. I didn't have one. How is that possible, <clears> though? Because you said your colon was decimated. And decimated. They, they yeah. cut a foot and a half away. So, so it was because they cut so much out that they were able to cut all the bad? Yes. They were wow. able to cut and get clear margins so that they could have healthy tissue connecting to healthy tissue. So because he hadn't, you can't really see until you open you, open you up. So I've got a, a scar. They open up just under my rib cage, right down to my pubic bone, straight down through my belly button. It's kind of wrecked my belly button, but it's all yeah, list of my worries. Yeah, and I'm like, bag. and I didn't have a colostomy bag. Yes, so I'll take the the weird belly button. Um, but it was it was a, an ordeal. Like it was a very very big surgery and taking out a foot and a half of your colon, your, your body has to learn. And that, that part of my, it was on my right side. The, the, the surgery is called a hemicolectomy and they removed the majority of the right side of my transverse colon, which is where actually what your body does in that it, it absorbs all the water to form a solid poo. So when you lose that part of your colon, your body has to relearn to make poo. Wow. <laughs> and my body's relearned. We're good now. Yeah, we're good. You're a good pooer again? I'm a good pooer. But consistent? It's consistent. <laughs> I'm every morning again. Oh, I've just good. gone back You're to my cool, reg- regular schedule. But, you know, every single day now I check my poo. And that's kind of one of my new hashtags, check your poo, which I learned from uh, a wonderful bowel, bowel cancer lady in the, in the UK. But um, it is about checking your poo because if you have any of these symptoms, if you have the skinny pencil poops, if you have the deer pellets, if you have constipation for three or four days when that's not typical, if you have blood in your poop, these are all signs that I just didn't know to look for. Um, but yeah, it, you have to relearn. And, and I was in hospital for nine days after that surgery and it was, there was some pretty sketchy moments. Like I, my whole body, I, I couldn't eat a thing and I gained 20 pounds in hospital, just 20 pounds in nine days because my whole body filled up with fluid. My stomach was out here. I had pitting edema all over me, so you could like push my leg and the divot would stay in my leg for minutes wow. at, at a time. It was all over my body. Um, and I actually felt like I was walking in like this marshmallow suit. I, my feet, the pads of my feet were swollen and I'd have to get up part of your recovery is you have to walk every day. And that was really, really hard. Like I'm like, oh yeah, I'm fit, I can walk. Just sitting up was such an effort. It's it, it's a major major surgery, and so the recovery is is pretty pretty big. Yeah. So then that's how I found out. I, that's a long, very that, long. That is traumatic. Mm-hmm. And so were all these things 
going through your head, like outside of I don't want to wake up with a colostomy bag, was like my kids, my husband, my yes. business. Like, yes. did life kind of mm-hmm. like appear? came to a screaming yeah. halt? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it, it's really funny because again, I, I said before, like I, I felt like I was having this out-of-body experience and I was watching this happen to somebody else and truly that's how it felt like because I, I wasn't prepared for this and the, the, there was no part of my mind that thought that this would be the outcome or cancer or surgery or chemotherapy or me- met- metastatic cancer. And you know, I remember waking up from the surgery just going, oh my God, like this is serious and you know, I, I, had, I, have, I have cancer, but... At that time, I didn't know it was metastatic cancer. I didn't know that it was advanced cancer. I didn't really know much about my kind. I knew a lot about breast cancer because I worked in that world for eight years prior, but I didn't really know much about bowel cancer. And so I, I, I spent lots of time in hospital with Dr. Google and not a good idea. I don't advise it. Talk to your, <laughs> talk to your real docs. But I also felt like every time they came to see me, like they, they weren't, they, I mean, I wasn't seeing an oncology doctor at that point. I was seeing my surgeons. And uh, they said they sent my tumor away to pathology and that I'd get the results in about a week. So that week between like not knowing, you know, I, I think I was just in a bit of denial or um, I, I just didn't believe, I, I was naive, I think is the word, because I, I really didn't think that it would go beyond this. I just thought, okay, it's gone. I've got to re- re- recover from this major surgery and then I'll get back to playing with my kids every day and tucking them in and doing all these things. Um, and I, I never once thought that it would be advanced metastatic cancer and that I'd have to go through 12 rounds of chemo. Um, so when I got that news, that's when it became much scarier for me. You know, after the surgery, it was scary because I was really having a hard time recovering, but I was like, okay, but I know I'm going to get there. Like, I'm a strong person. I'm fit physically. I'm prepared for this. Um, the hard part was with the kids and my husband all of a sudden like our life was just thrown into turmoil he, he immediately took a leave from work so he could just be there for our kids um, they had to go to school every day but we didn't have a live-in nanny or anyone so he, he couldn't leave the house at 4 30 in the morning anymore he had to be there for them and get them to school and uh, and then he'd come up to the hospital every day and, and spend time with me and um, we didn't we didn't have a lot of information for a little bit and and so it was just kind of this waiting and unknown um, but again me thinking I'll, I'll be fine in a couple of weeks you know don't worry I'll get back to life and running the business and and taking the kids to hockey and, and it was hockey season and so they, they're just full on um, and they're so six was it, was it like <coughs> about then after that week that when you got the tumor tested and you got the results mm-hmm. back is that when you found out the type of cancer it was and that you were going to yes. have to go through 12 rounds? Yes. And so yeah. what, what was your self-talk at that point? Oh, God. Yeah. I, you know, I, I went public with my journey while I was in hospital. And my, my impetus for that was one of my best friends, who I think you've actually had on the, on the podcast, Jessica Jansen, mm-hmm. she had a terminally ill son. And I remember she was my friend before that but we, we really did get much closer during this time and we did a charity ride at YYC and cycle and she was up on stage and I was in the audience and riding the bike and I remember her getting up there and it was such a sad time and I just I, as a mum to uh, twins that were the same age as her son Lewiston who passed away I, I she got up on stage and she said I never thought I'd be the one up here asking for help but look around this room 
that there are going to be more of you that are in this position, whether it's um, a child or yourself, you're going to have a life circumstance where you're going to need the help. Please, please, please don't be afraid to ask for it because I know that I could not do this by myself. And I remember looking around, I was bawling my eyes out, looking around that room going, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Who else can I support and help? Um, because I just I felt this huge nudge to be with Jess, support her. How can I help without being too much in her face? And um, as a mum with boys the exact same age, like it just it, it hit me so, so hard. Um, and I remember thinking, there will never be me, but there'll be someone else in this room that I know that's going to be faced with it, some crazy life challenge. And I remember lying in hospital going, holy fuck, it's me. It's me. I'm that one that she just talked about and or that she mentioned a few years ago. And I know that with our needs as a family, there was no way that I could step up and take care of them at that time. And that I also wanted the help, like I wanted the support. I didn't know anybody my age with cancer. Um, well, that's not true. I, I knew of one. I knew of a friend of a friend, but I didn't know her personally at the time. And I was like, how does somebody who is a mother of young children and trying to run a business and we, we just started building a house as well, like, how do I do all this? Like, I, I don't think I can. I knew I couldn't. So uh, part of my decision to go public was because I knew I needed the support and I needed the help. And I needed the community of cancer patients who were my age to help me, like to give me advice and educate me on their experience with going through advanced cancer and chemo. Um, and that was probably the best thing that I could have ever done. I, I, I got so much support. My family was taken care of. Meals were showing up for them. I didn't have to think about grocery shopping. I didn't have to think about any of those things while I was lying in a hospital bed and trying to get well. Um, so my mind was, you know, how can we just how can I protect the family and and the boys and and we wanted to be honest with our kids too and all the advice that we got about talking to your kids was be very open with them because they're going to hear it from other people and then they're going to be uh, maybe get the wrong information or maybe have not be brave enough to ask if they're hearing things from other people about your cancer like be as honest and open with them at their age level as you can for their level of understanding and they're eight or nine between they're six okay they're six okay mm -hmm. yeah. yeah very young still yeah. very much need mommy yes yeah <coughs> excuse me so we weren't allowed to have kids in the hospital. So during that nine days, I had two outdoor trips in a wheelchair just to spend 20 minutes with them. And oh, that must have just been... It was, it was tough. Oh, yeah, I can't imagine. That was yeah. really tough. And, you know, they wanted to see my owie. And, yes. and so I was very bandaged up, but I got to show them where I had a big cut. And, that, you know, we just told them that mommy had something in her tummy that was making me sick and that we had to cut it out and that everything would be fine. And still at that time, I didn't know I was metastasized and that I'd have to go through chemo. So, you know, finding that out, that's a whole new level of grief and mourning. And I, I, I think that was the day I really, like, started to say goodbye to my old life because I knew it would never be the same. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And then the community. Like, I don't, I don't know how I could have done this without the community that I had, but... Even strangers were bringing my family meals that we'd never met. It was so amazing. Um, 
people who couldn't cook were giving us meal gift cards, you know, like, I can't cook, but here's a DoorDash <laughs> card. Uh, so um, <clears throat> it was it was uh, unbelievable the amount of support and love and messages and <sighs> lounge suits and <laughs> flowers and treats and just healthy home-cooked meals that would show up and... Um, I, I actually, actually, at the time when I was diagnosed with metastatic cancer in hospital, I, I didn't know how much chemo I would need. I didn't know how aggressive it would be. I didn't really know what kind. But I did, at that point, say, okay, well, let's plan a head shaving party. Like, how can we find the light in the darkness? And there's going to be a lot of dark moments, and I don't want it to do... I don't want my kids to experience that darkness. I want them to see that I'm strong, and I want to be a good role model for them. And... I want to be able to help other people who get this diagnosis and show them that life you can live life with cancer, you can live life through chemo. And it, there were a few things that you know I just knew that I had to do in order to get through this. And again, you know, I started. I, I like facts and I like science, and and I wanted to know all the facts. I wanted to know my survival rates and my chances. I wanted to know how much. Uh, how much would my survival rate increase when I did chemo versus not doing chemo and what other um, complementary therapies could I do alongside of chemo to help me through chemo and beyond. So I, I sought out a naturopathic, a cancer integrative naturopathic doc who works with only cancer patients and he is the best, Dr. Matt Pyatt. He's fantastic and uh, he gave me so much hope and so the next part of my journey started, but uh, I knew that this was going to be a really tough slog, um, and I had to mentally prepare for that. I had to physically prepare for that. I had to get my body better. So I started chemo four weeks later. Uh, actually, I think it was five weeks later. I started on November 22nd, and so I had to get out of hospital. I had to recover. I had to get strong enough that my body wasn't inflamed um, and that I was doing well enough to, to deal with the, the cytotoxic chemicals that they were about to put into my body for the next seven months. <laughs> and so you're preparing for chemo, you're starting chemo. What was the, I guess, what was the first chemo treatment like mm. versus the last? Mm. Yeah, wow. Um, so different in so many ways, but also there was a lot of similarities. And, and by, by round 12, like I knew exactly what to expect. By in round one, uh, I was, I w you know, I'd done a lot of reading. I, I'd had lots of meetings with my oncologist. I asked lots of questions and, and what do I need, what do I expect? And she said, the first couple of rounds are going to be pretty benign. Like, you, you, you honestly will feel like this is a piece of cake. I got this. Your life won't change a lot in the first couple of rounds. But it's cumulative. You're going to be having treatment every 14 days. You're in hospital for the first day and you're on two different drugs, two different chemo drugs in my cocktail for the hospital day and then you go home on a chemo pump and then you infuse for two more days on a different chemo drug. So it was three full days of chemo with 11 days break in between. But what, what started happening, uh, you know, I'll answer your, your question first. The first round of chemo, I, I had so much anxiety. I, I didn't know what to expect. I was a, a rookie at this, my husband came with me and you're allowed one person in the hospital for each of your chemo treatments. So I decided that I was gonna have a chemo buddy for every single time and 
you know, how fortunate for me, I had so many friends lining up saying, can I be your chemo buddy? Can I be your chemo uh, buddy? So I had to actually like triage who was going to be my <laughs> chemo buddy. It's a good problem. It was have. a good problem. I was so lucky. And um, I took in like my near, nearest and dearest. And even my two best friends from Toronto and California who are sisters, they flew in to take care of me for a week when my mom needed a break. And and um, so, oh, my mom, my mom came from Australia to look after the twins and knowing that I would have a lot of challenges. And she ended up living with us for six months. She wow. stayed, yeah, she stayed for six months. So uh, she needed a break in between and my two besties flew in for round seven. But it, it, was, it was scary as hell. Like I sat there and I cried when the chemo went in. Um, prior to that, I had to get a, a port implanted in my chest, a power port where all my chemo was going through as well as my blood tests and hydration therapies and everything. So I just had it out. There's just a, a little oh. scar now. I just That's had amazing. it. Yeah, I just had it removed um, two weeks ago. Okay, tomorrow. hold on. How does that feel? So good. <laughs> I hated that thing. I took photos of it and I was like, I'm going to burn this thing. <laughs> I actually asked them if I could take my port with me and like have a little funeral for it. And they're like, oh, it's, we can't let you take it out of the hospital because it's a, it's a biohazard covered in your blood. <laughs> Um, but I said, well, let me take a picture of it. So I at least burn the picture. Um, but yeah, it, it feels so good not to have that lump in my chest all the time. Um, cause it, it, that port was a cath, it was a, a port where they would push a needle through the skin and they'd push the chemo and then it was a catheter that went straight into my heart. So I could feel it. I could feel it going in. And that first time I wasn't sure if I was going to feel it and I could feel it. And then all of a sudden I could feel my body start to change. Like instantly within a few minutes my my fingers started feeling tingly and numb I felt this horrible metallic taste in my mouth and these are all things that I thought and knew and read would happen but didn't realize it would happen so instantly um, I went home from the hospital that night on a chemo pump lots of training lots of education you've got tubes going everywhere you're wearing this bottle of chemo and you're around your waist in a fanny pack and and, and you've got things everywhere and you basically can't do very much for a couple of days just take it easy but um I went to work <laughs> I was like you know what I feel okay I'm gonna go to work and that was easy the first round was easy I got through it and I was like okay this is this is okay round two I had an allergic reaction to the chemo and I was so so sick um I was vomiting my guts up and I had a fever of 106 for a couple of days and I was very near to being readmitted into the hospital because of the allergic reaction I had to the chemo. But uh, round three and four were, were not too bad. It started to get pretty bad around f round five. And by round six and seven, you know, it was kind of up and down. I was like, okay, round five is tough. I can do this. Round six was very similar. Round seven was almost a little bit easier. I'm not sure why. And then round eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12 actually kicked my butt really really hard there were days I couldn't get out of bed there were days I couldn't lift my head because I was having severe vertigo and, and throwing up a lot and um, having to crawl on my hands and knees to get to the toilet because if I stood up I would just fall over from from the neurotoxicity was causing insane amounts of vertigo it's like the worst hangover you can imagine and and you and it would wake me up in the middle of the night like probably 15 times a night with just head spins and just from like turning my head a little bit, I'd get a crazy head spin and then I'd start vomiting again. And so I, I had to postpone chemo um, three times 
Because you were so sick. Because I was too sick to continue with the next round. Are there round. rules about that? Like yes. they assess you to say you yeah, exactly you're gonna, yeah okay yeah yeah they 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 test you. So I was getting my blood work done every every cycle. Um, I was having a lot of trouble swallowing um, and being hydrated, and so I would have to have hydration therapy multiple times a week at the hospital, where they just basically put two liters of saline into your body so that you're because you, you can't drink. Um, Food, everything tasted disgusting, metallic-y, you know, I was nauseous a lot of the time. And then, then I'd have a good day, and I'd be like, oh, I feel I'm okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah, this is okay. Yeah, and, and it would, it would kind of happen that, you know, the chemo would feel kind of yuck, but then day four through seven, I would be really bad. And then I'd have, like, day eight through 14, where I'd actually start to feel okay, and I'd started playing tennis again, and I was doing activities, I was going to things with my kids. But around, somewhere around halfway through, I stopped getting that reprieve for the last few days and I would stay sick right up until the day before chemo. And so my, I'd get my blood work done on a Thursday. I'd have my oncology exam on a Friday and chemo was always on a Monday. But on the Fridays, she would say, uh, we, can't, we can't do it. I'm so sorry, we have to postpone it because my neutrophils were way too low or... Um, they, they hadn't recovered in time. Neutrophils are what can help fight off infection. And if they're not recovered, or I would get these crazy um, mucositis, like blisters all over my tongue and the back of my throat. And I, there were days I couldn't move my tongue. I couldn't talk because they were so painful. Um, and then the, the neurotoxicity affected my, uh, my balance and the vertigo. And if, the, if your neurotoxicity gets way too high, it's fatal. So they would have to wait and bring those things down back into alignment so that I could continue with the next round. And like I was saying, it was cumulative. So I knew that every round was going to be tougher. And then and, and I started finding different side effects. It wasn't just the same ones coming up. It was uh, new ones. And um, even after I finished chemo, even new side effects started coming out. And it's just because there's so much of this toxin built up in your body. It's poison in your system. How long does it take for... <coughs> so when was your last chemo treatment? It was uh, May 19. And so how long does it take for kind of the chemo then to, for all that toxin? Out of toxin, your body? Yeah, out of your body. Well, right now I've, I have numb hands and toes. My feet are numb all the time. Um, makes And they kind of tingle sometimes, but mostly they're just numb. My The pads of my fingers and thumbs, uh, I've lost all the feeling in those. And so that's, that's damage to the nerves. That can take two to three years. Nerves take about that much time to regenerate. Um, in some cases it's permanent. So... I'm hoping it's not permanent, but I am in it for the long haul now. I know I'm dealing with this this numbness in my hands and toes, and um, cold weather is really bad for it because it actually it burns them, and I experienced a lot of that during chemo, and I was going through chemo during the winter, so that was a bit of a challenge. It's much easier now in the warm weather, but even now when I try and go out for a jog, it, it feels very uncomfortable. Like my mm-hmm. feet, it's like hitting the ground with these numb pins and needle feet all the time, and so it's not, it's not great, but those side effects, other than that, um, I'm still losing my hair. I've lost about 70% of the hair that I had. You can see it's like super, oh, yeah. super wispy. Actually, you know what? When you came in, I honestly did not even well, notice. I, I washed, noticed now that you yes. said something, but I didn't. I washed and blow-dried it for you today yes. and strained it so that it doesn't look as thin, but I, I've, I've lost about 70% of the bulk. I've got this teeny tiny little... Any ponytail at the back now. I'm gonna have to get extensions in the fall, but that's okay. You, I, I know, I, I have rock those. them, and I love them. Yes, I yeah. So I used to have really, really long thick you did, hair. Yeah, now that you say and that, and yes. so if you didn't know me, you wouldn't know looking at me that yeah. I've lost seventy percent of my hair. But um, my family can see it. I can see it obviously, and and 
I didn't lose all my hair. Um, the chemo cocktail that I was on actually doesn't make all of your hair fall out. It, it makes you thin a lot, but I had so much to start with. And I think that was fortunate that I, I didn't need to shave it because I didn't, I haven't got to the point that I'm looking bald, but uh, it's still falling out. I'm still losing way more hair than, than typically I would have when I had more hair. Um, like big, big clumps out of my brush every time I, I wash my hair, which is every couple of days. And so I keep thinking, when is this going to stop? But that I'm dealing with. But my, my, the feeling inside my body, uh, my, my taste buds grew back. I actually lost them completely. They, they like literally fell off my tongue. I had big chunks out of my tongue. I had sores all over inside of my mouth. And I couldn't taste anything but this foul taste with everything I ate. How long was um, that for? That was for about five months. Oh my gosh. Yeah. In, in the beginning, I couldn't taste like for the first week and then I get my taste buds back for the, probably the first four rounds, four or five rounds. But then after that, they just never came back and they would literally, I, I could see, like I had this almost um, yellow coating that would form all over my tongue, but there was like big chunks coming off the top of my tongue that were my taste buds. And then I had taste buds that would fill up with blister fluid. I had blisters all over them. So that, that was one of my more challenging side effects for sure. Um, I tried drinking wine to kind of mask the taste. Of <laughs> didn't taste the same. Oh, yeah, I just I'm gave sure up alcohol altogether for that for that eight months. Um, and your body, like mm -hmm. I, you know, I commented before we started, like you look phenomenal. Like you look very fit and you look healthy. You had said you had lost twenty pounds yeah. and you put ten pounds mm -hmm. back on. And I mean, you're rocking your outfit. Like that skirt is. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so you feel good in your. I body. feel good. I, I'm yeah. sleeping again. Insomnia was a very big problem mm. during the therapy because uh, you're on steroids. I was on steroids uh, to increase my appetite and to stop the nausea, and I, I couldn't. I couldn't sleep, and not just the, the medication, but probably the chemo itself and the anxiety and everything else. And I was maybe getting like three or four hours sleep a night, and that was not good because your body needs sleep to recover. And I was so challenged by that. So I was on sleeping pills for about the last six months of my of my treatment. Then when we went to California, I'm like, that's it. I'm off the pills, cold turkey, and um, tried some other more natural methods to sleep, and everything, it was working. It worked like a charm. So I, I don't have problems sleeping anymore, and that's a huge part of feeling good. Um, if you're sick and can't sleep, like it's just compounded, it's torture. Oh yeah. Yeah, but it's like having twins. You never sleep. You never <laughs> sleep. Yeah, you've been through that already. Never sleep, but also your body's being poisoned at the same time. Yeah. But uh, now I'm sleeping and I'm exercising on a daily basis and I'm taking that time for myself to try and do 30 to 40 minutes of cardiovascular exercise every day. I'm playing tennis now again every week and anything I can to, to stay active. Running's, running's still a bit of a challenge, but I'm trying to power walk slash jog for 30 seconds and then, you know, walk yeah, for a minute. you're starting over. I'm starting you know, over, are, yeah. yeah. And, and that's okay. And that's okay. And I mean, I used to be runner. I was running marathons and stuff before, so it's like learning how to do that again. Mm. Um, but I'm feeling good, like the sleep and the food, and I can taste again. And I, I part of the reason I probably gained 10 pounds in California is because <laughs> my taste buds came back and everything tasted like the best, oh, the I'm best sure. taco I've ever had. That's the best banana I've ever tasted in my life. Oh my God, that's the best pizza. So I was eating like five times as much as I probably should. Which is so good though, like I'm sure. Well, and let's, yes. I just want to acknowledge something for a minute. Somebody, I should say that you, from seeing you on social media, you clearly had a tribe of women behind you, mm -hmm. friends, people that you didn't know well, mm -hmm. um, your staff at your office, your mm -hmm. mom came in, but I want to acknowledge Ryan, mm -hmm. your spouse. And because I know that if I went through something like that, 
I'm going to get tearful <laughs> that Chad would be by my side. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine how difficult that was mm -hmm. for Ryan to see his wife, the mother of his children, mm -hmm. go through that. Yeah. And so what was that like for him and how has he processed all of this? Because I think losing you was probably, I'm assuming, very real to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, he is the, he's always the optimist in every situation. Um, I'm more a realist <laughs> uh, and he always sees the, the bright side of things and that's just his personality and his nature and his upbringing. They're, they're a very positive, optimistic family. So when I go to those depths and, and despair in the darkness, and, and, and I do, you know, you don't see a lot of that in my social media, but it's, it's always there and there's not a moment a second in my day that cancer's not at the forefront of my mind in everything I do and every decision, everything I put in my mouth, um, the people I like, it's just, it's just there. Like I can't, I can't push it back and compartmentalize it when I think Ryan's very good at compartmentalizing as most men are and pushing their feelings aside to do what they have to do. Um, we both, uh, you know, he's he talked to somebody professionally just about his feelings, but I think it's probably time for us to both kind of readdress that because you, you do need somebody just to talk about mm -hmm. what's going on. And I, I, I feared that he kept pushing it down and just putting on a brave face. And he, he was my rock. Like, he absolutely was my rock. Um, and he had to also step up the dad duties because... Uh, my mum was great. She was here doing all of our laundry, all of the cleaning, getting the kids to school, picking them up from school. Ryan was working, so he was going back to work um, and juggling that. But then he'd come home to me in bed, like super sick. Mm -hmm. And and then yet the kids, like he, he, he couldn't spend a lot of time with me because our kids needed him so much. And I couldn't be with the kids a lot of the time. Um, so there was a big focus on them and making sure they were okay, as you do uh, for your kids. But yeah, he, he really stepped it up and I think he got really used to having somebody do his laundry every day. And, um, so there were some perks for him. <laughs> there were perks for him as well because he got to do all the fun stuff. Yeah. He got to play with the kids but really focus on them and, and making sure they were okay. And um, there were days that I could not get out of bed and then there were days that I could not go uh, into the office for a few hours or I'd, or I'd go to a medical treatment. I'd come home and I'd just crawl back into bed and the kids would come up and read to me and tuck me in. Um, one of my twins said to me the other day, Mom, isn't it so nice that you can tuck us in again now instead of us tucking you in? And wow. of course, I was like, waterworks. Oh it's like, God. it's so nice. And Mom, isn't it so nice you can drive us around now? Because I, I just literally couldn't do that stuff for the longest time. And I would just lie in bed and for days at a time and not be able to participate in their lives, which was, was really, really tough. Um, another thing that happened uh, very unfortunately was that one of the little boys in my kids grade one class mother passed away of cancer uh, in December mm -hmm. and I had just started my chemo journey um, she was 41 and died of breast cancer and so it was a big thing and the teacher called us right away and said you need to know that this little boy's mom just passed away of cancer and he's friends with your kids and now it's all over the school everybody's talking about her dying of cancer and and so we need to sit down with, with your kids and, and address this. And one of my twins started having major anxiety attacks and fear of even in the house, if he couldn't see us in the house, he'd start panicking. 
and he had this horrible fear of being lost. Um, and that's how it manifested in him and, and we had to work with him on making sure, you know, he felt okay. And, and you know, since I've been better and able to, he's able to see me back as his energetic mom, those fears for him have pretty much vanished. It, it was very interesting the way that um, as soon as his little pal's mom died and he saw how sick I was, he was just terrified. He didn't want to go into a public place because he was so scared that he would get lost. Um, but just the, seeing him even in, in his own house, if he couldn't see his twin brother or his dad, he'd start screaming, where's dad? Where's dad? Where's Blake? And it just it broke my heart. Yeah. Um, but he's back now. You know, his, spirit, his spirit is strong and he's back. Um, but, you know, Ryan was amazing. My, my community, <coughs> excuse me, was amazing. Um, the team of 17 girls that I have working at Phi, they stepped it up. They stepped it up big time because I couldn't be there to do the daily running of the business. Um, you know, something else really sad happened at this time. It was this perfect storm of bad timing. My business partner's mum came in to the clinic to visit. Um, she was down here from Edmonton and she came into the clinic to visit and I had just, I was just about to start my first round of chemo. I'd, I'd just gotten out of the hospital and she came in looking kind of yellow and Lisa said, Mom, are you feeling okay? Like your eyeballs are yellow, your skin's kind of yellow, you look oh really God. jaundiced. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, I don't feel great, but like, I'm fine. So at that point, Lisa said, I want, I want you to go into the hospital right now. Like there's something going on maybe with your liver because you're, you're so yellow. And Lisa being in the medical profession recognized this right away. And her mom went into hospital that day and she never came out. She died 24 days later. Um, so it was a really crazy time. It was our busiest two months of the year at FI. Lisa was in the hospital. She was off work. She was in the hospital every day trying to figure out what was wrong with her mom. It turns out that she was diagnosed with bile duct cancer. Um, and she actually passed away from complications of trying to get her well enough to do chemo, to get her out of the hospital, to stent her bile duct. But she had multiple surgeries, multiple complications. And she, in the end, actually, her, her body just went fully septic and, and inflamed and they couldn't get it under control and she passed away in hospital. So she never actually came back out of the hospital. Um, and then Lisa went on a bereavement leave and all this is happening while I'm just starting chemotherapy, busiest two months of the year at work, Lisa's off work for a couple of months and it, it, was, it was insanity. It was did you, how did the, so how did you, <coughs> did the women in the business just be like, we got this? Yes. Wow. Yes, they, they stepped it up and they're like, don't worry about a thing. Like, what can we do? Wow, I just got shivers. Yeah, and, and you know, I pat ourselves on the back for how great we did at picking the people we picked to be in our business because uh, the team is incredible. We, we are so fortunate. And I didn't really worry about the business falling apart because I had them. And I was still available. You know, I was, I was there to take their calls and Guide them. guide them and make decisions but I, I couldn't be there on a daily basis I was in the hospital and then I was home on a pump and uh, and then there were days I couldn't get out of bed so they, they just were like we got this don't even worry about it uh, so that was that was a wow. big big part of how I survived that aspect and, and the business life and then Ryan taking care of the kids and then my community dropping off meals and and Jess Jansen set up a meal train and um, one of the best things that you can do for somebody going through something like this is not ask them how can I help but tell them this is what I'm going to do to help and 
and, and lots of people ask, how can I help? And I don't really know how to answer that. You know, it was like, well, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't like asking, yeah. can you make me a meal? Can you go and pick up groceries? Can you go get me some slippers? You know, I, I, I'm not good at asking for those things. Um, so for her to take that off my plate, she said, I'm setting up a meal train. It's going to be three days every two weeks when you're going, like the hospital days and the chemo days, because I am the cook in my family and I love to cook but just not having the ability to do that. And so my mom came and she doesn't cook either, but she's great at cleaning. <laughs> like the blind leading the blind over she there can for not cook. <laughs> she can not cook, but she loves to clean. So my house was always really tidy. The laundry was always done, but we didn't have the meals. And so lots of people, e- even when they weren't doing um, those three scheduled days of meal training, Tanya, you were one of those people who dropped off the most delicious dinner. It was, was so, like, we so, so good. We mess this up for them. <laughs> Um, and I also had dietary restrictions at yes. the time. So yes. I was being um, coached onto a plant-based diet and I have a, a son that has a wheat allergy. So we were pretty high maintenance. <laughs> we were like, okay, you can't put any wheat in the meal. Um, you know, and even uh, prior to the meal train being set up, we, a lot of people were just dropping off frozen dinners, like put this in your freezer and then all you have to do is eat it. So at least my mom or my husband could do that part of it. Uh, or if I was able to get up for a few minutes, I could throw a lasagna in the oven. We got 21 frozen lasagnas. <laughs> well, and I would have actually made you a lasagna because I make a really good lasagna, but I wouldn't have been able to make it with the requirements. So right? I was like, it's either my original lasagna or it's not yeah. at all. So we'll do like salmon and garden salad. And Your like salmon was fantastic. <laughs> But you know what? There wasn't a bad lasagna. Everybody, <laughs> and if it wasn't homemade, it was like a Mikado lasagna or Empire. It was so good. But I was off red meat as a son that couldn't eat wheat. So we had 21 frozen lasagnas in the oven. And it was between, like, I would pull them and put them in the oven and say, okay, mom, Ryan, and Cruz, you're having lasagna. Blake and I, we're going to figure out our own thing. Um, and it, I was so grateful. And it was so generous. People were so generous. And there were strangers that would just text or leave me a DM on Instagram saying, I just left a frozen dinner at your door and and I was so touched I, I honestly I still to this day just I well up when I think about the goodness of people and how can I ever repay I, I don't even know some of these people you know and I'm like oh who was that person I have to get in touch with them and how do I thank them for their kindness and and everything karma. they did it's yeah karma. you know what I think too in your depths of despair you're you're you know you're such in a fog and like you said you had to crawl to the bathroom Mm -hmm. and I think that the people that delivered those meals or gifts did it out of the goodness of their heart not because they needed a thank you and they were probably felt blessed that they could help you yeah and I think that that's there's so much beauty in mankind that we don't see on a day-to-day basis or we choose not to see or we just don't see it because we don't know what's going on and I think that it's not the thank you that they want. They were probably just so grateful that they could help you. They could help, yeah. And and, and really, I felt that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I felt the love and the support. And I honestly, like, to your point, I, I didn't feel like they wanted a thank you. They just wanted to do anything they could to make our lives easier. Um, but that, but, but one of the best things that you can do for someone going through something like this is to meal trains. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to set up a meal train. It's going to be scheduled. You'll know which days it's coming. And you don't even ha- you don't have to manage it. You know, I will manage it for you. And Jess Jansen did all of that for me. It was such a gift. And I kept saying to her, "This is the most helpful thing. This is well, the most you helpful." Know thing. Your family's taking care of as well. Like even it, though you it, might yeah, not it wasn't have been about able me that day, 
it's that because I think that would be my concern if I was ill, like just my family being taken care of. It right? wasn't. It had nothing to do with yeah. what I was being fed. Uh, there were so many times that I I couldn't eat and I couldn't taste it. It was just uh, I'll just have a juice today, but. It was them. It's like, mm -hmm. how's my, how are my kids going to eat? How's my husband going to eat? My mom was with us for six months. She's got to be fed too. Um, and, and, and that was just an incredible help to us, for sure. So you leave to California. When did you go to California? We went, chemo uh, <laughs> uh, finished May 19. We took possession of our house um, two days later, I think it was, 21st of May. Uh, and then we left on the 28th of May to California. Yeah, and it when all did happened. you get back? And then we, I was there 15 days. So I came back like uh, mid-June. Okay, so mm -hmm. mid-June, you, <coughs> what happens when you come back? Um, I got the call in California that my biopsy on my back came back and it was skin cancer. It was basal cell carcinoma uh, and then had to come out. So they booked me in for, for a surgery at, at my dermatology office. Um, came back and uh, all the tests were scheduled. I was scheduled for my first ever colonoscopy. I was scheduled for um, uh, echocardiogram. I'll tell you about that. I was scheduled for the surgery on my back. I was scheduled for the surgery on my front to get my port removed. And all this was going to happen within three weeks of each other. Uh, and my CT scan was the first thing. So as soon as I got back, I went in for a CT scan. The results came back. Um, they weren't exactly what I was expecting. Uh, I, again, this, this feeling of like, oh, I'm through it. Okay, I, they, they did the surgery. I did 12 rounds of chemo. I'm done. I am going to get back to life. And that didn't happen. <laughs> so I had a CT scan and met with my oncologist. And she said, so there's four new nodes on your lungs that weren't there when we CT scanned you six months ago. We don't know what they are. I had COVID during, in January of, of doing treatment, so uh, it could be scarring on your lungs, but it, it could be cancer, and we don't know. And we can't biopsy them because they have to be a centimeter in size, and at this point, this, these four new nodes were only three millimeters. And the only thing that we can do is like do some blood work, look for some other markers, that if, whether or not it's cancer or not, but those might not be conclusive. We can, um, we're going to rescan you and do another CT scan in three months. And if there's any growth or more of these, then it's likely cancer. And if it's exactly the same as it was three months before, then we'll scan you again in three months and we'll just keep watching it. Um, it could be COVID scarring or something else going on. Uh, and I'd been, I'd been pretty sick, like my lungs, I, I was producing buckets of mucus after chemo for a good five weeks. It just My body just could not fight um, whatever. I, I had a viral infection, actually. And she said, oh, and there's also some fluid around your heart in the pericardial sac, and it's, it's not a normal amount of fluid. So we're not really sure what's going on there. So I'm going to send you for an echocardiogram to see what that's all about. And so I went for an echocardiogram. Well, actually, before that, I got really sick. I had a full body rash. I had fluid around my heart. I was coughing up mucus, and, and they determined that it was some kind of virus, and my body just couldn't fight it. So I had that for oh, almost a month. It was pretty, pretty yuck, but I'm through that. The rash went away. The mucus production's gone way, way down. It's almost nothing now, and um, I just I feel so much better. So the echocardiogram had revealed that the fluid resolved. So we're happy about that. Uh, and now it's a bit of a mindfuck because um, some of my, my blood work on my liver enzymes came back uh, abnormally high, which 
is a little bit of an indicator of something's wrong with my liver. So I'm doing uh, more blood work in the next few weeks and I'm waiting now for another, it's been, it's been a month since my last CT, so I have another two months to go before I get my next CT scan. And, you know, this, this fear of recurrence is, is real. It's, it, I didn't get, when I first got diagnosed, everybody used to say, oh my God, you're so lucky they got it. You're so lucky they found it when they did. I'm not fucking lucky, guys. I've got advanced cancer. It's not lucky. They didn't catch it early. I didn't know the signs. Um, if they had caught it earlier in stage one or two, I'd be in a much better situation now, probably uh, mentally, emotionally, physically, because I wouldn't have had to do chemo. Uh, but I have, I'm, I'm just shy of stage four. And so there's a very high chance of recurrence in my lifetime there's a high chance of recurrence at any time and you can be the healthiest fittest person in the world you can be a vegan you can not drink alcohol not smoke you can work out for an hour a day and at the end of the day you do all the complementary integrated treatments in the world but it's it's actually just bad luck the the cancer can come back and i don't have any control of it and because it had metastasized into my lymph nodes and into my blood there could be circulating cancer cells that decide to show up somewhere else or they, they say nest in your body and form a tumor somewhere else. And so, you know, I've, I, I'm really lucky. I have an amazing oncologist and I'm patient now for the rest of my life at the Tom Baker Cancer Center and I will always have, you know, biannual checkups and scans and colonoscopies and blood work to make sure that, that we're trying to catch any recurrence early. But... I might be in remission. I, I can't, I'm not in remission yet. We don't know. I, I can't be declared cancer-free, but I, I might be in remission for the next 30 or 40 years. There, there really isn't any way of telling. And um, statistically, I have about a 50% chance of being alive in five years. So they, they talk about, in cancer, they talk about five-year survival rates, and they do all their data and studies based on these five-year survival rates, and I have about a 50% chance that I will be alive in five years and about a 50% chance that I won't make it. So it's, it's, it's my reality. This is my new normal. I've mourned the days when I could, my girlfriends would call up and say, let's go out and have a bottle of wine and eat yummy food and a big steak at Mercado and some dessert. And that was just such a carefree time in my life now that I know it is, I, I can't do that anymore. I, I, um, I could, but I would live with this huge amount of guilt that I'm putting these things into my body that are increasing my risk of cancer coming back. Um, so you do what you can, but again, at the end of the day, there are people that eat steak every day and smoke a packet of cigarettes and drink wine every day. And, and die and, when they're 95. And die when they're 95. Yeah. So it, it's really, a, a lot of it is beyond my control and a lot of it is my emotional and mental state that I need to work on to make sure that I'm not guilting myself every time I put a little bit of sugar into my mouth or... You know, I, I really want to bite of that dessert, and, and I, I, I have changed my diet and lifestyle significantly because I used to be a two-glass-a-night a girl wine, and now I'm maybe two glasses on a weekend. But I, I haven't completely done, um, like, I haven't cut it out completely because I feel like I still need to live and live enjoy life. And, enjoy and, and these are the things, being with my friends and having a glass of wine, no, I'm not going to have the bottle, but... Having a glass with them is just part of my life and living, and and I'm still going to do a little bit of that. But for the most part, I've said goodbye to that old Jody, and 
what the way I used to live. I was a big sugar junkie too. I've had to say goodbye to sugar, smart sweets. I spent a fortune <laughs> on smart sweets Think now. Think how much you're saving. Yeah. <laughs> With the wine. You know what? I save a lot on wine for sure. Um, <laughs> but I'm spending a lot more on healthy eating. Like yes. I, I, I tend to buy organic now whenever yeah. I can. And I'm buying, um, I'm about 90% plant based now. But any animal protein that I put into my body, I do it like a couple times a week. It's got to be really clean. It's got to be grass fed, grass finished beef. It's got to be no hormones, no antibiotic chicken. Same with the eggs. Um, and I'm doing a lot of fish. Like I'm yes. eating a lot of wild caught, not farmed, but wild caught fish, which is one of the healthier things that you can put in your body. And just overall, I think those are good lifestyle choices. Those are great um, things for me to teach my family and transition my family into more of a, um, a plant-based eating approach. But it's a lot of work. Uh, it's a lot of preparation. It's, a lot of, it's very time consuming. The convenience foods that I used to give my kids, I always gave them really healthy sides, but I'd throw in some fish fingers in the air fry with their sweet potato and broccoli. And now we're not, we've cut out processed foods completely. Just there's, there's, a big, there's a lot of studies on processed meats links to cancer. So no more ham sandwiches, no more fish fingers, no more chicken nuggets. Uh, on an occasion, yes. if they go to a birthday party, I'm not going to be that mom that says, my kid cannot have a yes. McDonald's hamburger. <laughs> Uh, but it's just not coming into yes. our house anymore. Yeah. So big transitions there and new the new normal. The, the new, new normal. normal. Mm-hmm. And so kind of looking forward, like what do you, I, I mean, obviously the obvious is that you, you hope that you stay and remain cancer free, number yes. one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on a day-to-day basis moving forward outside of that, like what mm-hmm. do you hope for yourself? Mm-hmm. Oh, you, when you sit face-to-face with your own mortality, you really, really reevaluate your life and your choices, um, who you want to spend your time with, who you want to be, what you want to do with your time, and uh, how you bring yourself joy. And I've definitely taken a deeper dive into looking at those things, and um, there's some people in my life now that I probably wouldn't give as much time as I gave to before because it's I, I just want to focus on the people that bring good energy and make me feel great. And um, so for sure, uh, spending time with people that are that are quality people and I'm such a social person and I just love being around people. I love life. I love my friends. And interestingly, like some people who I kind of expected to be there a little more weren't and then other people who I didn't expect at all stepped way, way up and – those relationships have grown much stronger because of how they stepped up and, and supported my family. Um, so I just want to have more memories with them. I, um, my children uh, and my husband and my family, like I, um, he's just left his career uh, and is starting a, a new one, but he's got the summer off. And I think this summer for our family is just going to be so fantastic because we're just going to spend so much time together and with the kids and, and making memories and making plans and traveling you know pandemic kind of kiboshed that for a while but then also cancer and now I I want to make plans and I want to do things and create these incredible memories and that last a lifetime and and experience life to the fullest and so you know that's my commitment is to also not yell at my kids as much (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm working on that one but (laughs) six-year-old twin boys they drive me wild sometimes it's a tough one um, and they're wild, so sometimes they need a little yelling. But but I definitely am trying to show more patience, um, be a better mum, friend, wife, 
business owner and make really good decisions but also like for me I, I need to focus more on me I think as you know Tanya entrepreneur mom like you, you, you're so busy and you focus on those things those are your priorities and you forget sometimes about taking care of yourself and you know aside from the like getting my mani-pedi every three or four weeks like what am I doing on a daily basis that's really taking care of me internally, physically, emotionally, spiritually? And um, I've never been a super spiritual person, but I think definitely I'm growing that spiritual side a lot more now. Um, I'm into a bit more of the woo-woo stuff and not, and I'm, I'm doing all the conventional treatments, of course, but I'm, I'm trying to complement my life with um, just focusing inwards and seeing and listening to my body. And, and I know now that like, I, need to, I need to prioritize my health and I need to spend that extra time prepping a good meal. I need to spend that extra time decluttering my mind and, and working out. And, and, and every, even if it's just a 30-minute Peloton, and I need to focus that time on sleep um, because those were always the things that kind of fell off first. So going forward, it's, it's, it's a different perspective on life. And I hope that other people can not take their health for granted and not have something like this happen to them for them to appreciate this. And I think that's also part of what I want to share with people is that don't wait until your life is threatened before you decide that you really want to enjoy it and that you want to make an impact and that you want to create those amazing, happy memories with your family. Don't get down in the, in the weeds and get bogged down in, in like life. Mm -hmm. There's a way that you can have more balance and, we're always talking about that, even when we don't have a threatening life illness. It's like, how do we get more balance in our life? But, but you really need to take that step. And talking it through, um, I, I've always had a therapist. I think therapists are amazing because they help you sort out your head. Absolutely. And, yeah, and I think spending more time just talking through because I, I can't burden my husband with this all the time. No, that's right. And that's what a therapist is for. That's what a therapist <laughs> is for. And I, and I don't want to burden my girlfriends, although some of them do act as my therapist. But... <laughs> But uh, having a really good therapist who you can just talk it through. And I always feel like I come out of it going, oh, now I got it. Now I know what to do. Now I know how to take this next step. And, yeah, it's, it, that's, that's my life going forward. And I, I hope if, if I do live for another 40, 50 years that um, I will continue to not forget, like, what's important and not get complacent. Um, but I don't think there's a bigger wake-up call than mm -hmm. knowing that you may or may not die in the next five years and... Uh, how would, how do you choose to live your life in the meantime? Yeah, well, that's a, I mean, if that, if, I don't know, if that doesn't make it real, nothing will, like, for, you know, your mortality to, to kind of flash in front of you in that period mm -hmm. of time, and, you know, one of the, the ending questions that we always ask on the vow is, what if, what have you vowed to yourself? But I, I, I feel that you, you really just answered that about, um, you know, taking your health into your own hands and mm -hmm. finding joy in your life. Yeah, I mean... Oh God, there, there's so many things that I vow and these are all things, I keep a journal. So, you know, I, I don't write in it every day, but when something comes to me, I have an epiphany. I'm like, yes, that's, I'm going to write it down so I can remember it and commit to it. And, and first and foremost, it's to, um, I think, be a better mom. And I didn't think I was a bad mom, but there, there are, like I said, you get, you get impatient and, and life gets so busy and you don't have that time for your kids and I'm like the thought of not being there for them you know it's like that's my 
deepest, darkest fear is them not having me in their life or not having me to show them and teach them. And I want to do as much of that as I can <clears throat> while I've got my health. And there are days like today I woke up feeling really good. And um, my kids are actually in Windermere for a week and it's nice to have a break because I don't know the last time I had a break was probably my honeymoon. But um, focusing on me so I can be the best mom I can be number one vow um i've wanted to be a mum since the day i was born and i waited till i was 42 to i didn't purposely wait <laughs> someone else made me wait <laughs> but they they came much later in life and um now that i've got them like i just i wish i had more time with them not that i didn't try for a good decade before that but i i've got them now and i just want to make our time together so memorable and um, I, I just want to raise really good, healthy kids and I want them to be do-gooders in this world. And so, like, not only do I obsess on reading cancer books and listening to cancer podcasts, but I also listen to a lot and read a lot on how to not raise asshole kids. <laughs> That's literally a book I just read, How to Not Raise Asshole Kids. Jody, you that are is not going to raise asshole kids. I am pretty confident. <laughs> uh, you know what? Sometimes it's not up to me. I have one angel and I have one asshole. And... I love them both the same, but the asshole is a real challenge, and that was the impetus between to read that book, because I said I'm having trouble with this one kid. How do I do this? And I don't want to be that mom that's like disciplining and yelling and screaming. I just I just want us to be in harmony and and have this. I want them to grow up remembering oh, the great life that they had and and the connections. And I'm not talking about material things, but just the love that they felt and so yeah that's that's my number one vow is to make them feel more loved and appreciated and give them time a day and you know, get off our phones when we're mm -hmm. with our family uh, we're on our phones obviously for our jobs and everything else but I just don't want that distraction when I'm with my kids I just want them to feel like they're the number one priority in my life and they are um, and then there's so many other vows like it's never to take my health for granted and and focus on healing and uh, focus on time and with with the right people. Yeah, well, those are beautiful vows, Jody. And I, there's no doubt, you know, the bit that I know about you that you will you will follow through with those vows. And I'm so honored that you would come today and share your very raw and vulnerable story. Um, you know, it's courageous to share your story. I know you don't have a choice. People say, oh, you're so strong. Well, you don't have a choice. You wake up every morning and you have a family and you have a husband. And so your strength is probably not a choice. It's a necessity. But you're very courageous in sharing your story in the midst of you going through this. And I'm so honored to have you here today and very grateful. Thank you, Tanya. I'm also very grateful. And you, you just hit the nail on, on the head and people say to me, every day like how do you do it how are you so strong and it's not a choice it is a necessity um, I have to be strong and um, it, 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 it is choiceless but but there are days that I I don't feel strong mm -hmm. you know there are days that uh, even my husband he, he doesn't see it when um, I'll have moments there's not a day since my diagnosis that I haven't been in tears like mm -hmm. so, something brings me to tears pretty much every day and and the world doesn't see that um but that's that's the fear and the anxiety and and not feeling strong and then 
you know, slap myself across the face mm -hmm. and pull up my big girl pants and say, you don't have a choice. Right now you've got a business, right now you've got kids, right now you've got a husband, right now you've got to get the groceries, right now you've got to pay the electrical bill. Like you, you literally do it because it's survival and it's necessity and that's, that's, the, that's what mm -hmm. we do. You know, that's what we do. We all have weakness, we all have moments of weakness, but I just know that I, I don't have a lot of choice sometimes, so just get on with it. Just get do it. it. Mm -hmm. Get her done. Get her done. <laughs> so my yep. father-in-law says he has a belt buckle that says get, get her, her done. Get her done. I love it. And yep. very lastly, uh, Jody, we like to spotlight a charity of choice. Mm -hmm. um, so what charity would you like to spotlight today? Oh, well, it's the Canadian Cancer Society, obviously. Um, I, I now have some big hopes and dreams on uh, and being able to raise a lot of money for, for them. It, th there's so many advances in different types of cancer, but really in colon cancer and bowel cancer, there hasn't been a lot in the last 40 years. Like I'm still taking, I still took the same chemo cocktail that people were prescribed 40 years ago. And it, it does increase your survival rates, but not significantly. And I think that there's, they're on the cusp of maybe being able to, you know, I, my hope is in my lifetime that cancer is cured and that nobody else has to go through this or worrying about it. But there's just, there's so many different kinds of cancer and different, breast cancer gets a ton of, you know, funding. It's, it's one of the more prevalent ones. But bowel cancer, I think is, my, my job is to raise money for the Canadian Cancer Society and, and put specifically research and funding into, into bowel cancer. You know um, what? You need to make bowel, bowel cancer more romantic. I sure do. Yes. <laughs> I've got some plans. Uh, stay tuned, Tanya. I've Romanticize got, bowel cancer. Yeah. Check your poo. Yeah. Hashtag check, check your, poo. your poo. Hashtag fuck cancer. Um, yeah. But, the, but now that I'm in a place where I'm able, uh, I, I want to also work with, oh God, when I was in hospital, the food they gave me, oh. ugh, it was, it would have killed me. <laughs> you know, I, I can't believe that we're in living in Canada and Calgary and that they're giving you red jello and rehydrated powdered potatoes and mushy carrots. Like we, we need to learn about the nutrition that a, somebody recovering from major surgery with cancer needs to have in their body. And whether it's, so that's probably one of my mandates going forward is to get myself on a board with the new Tom Baker Cancer Center that opens next year and work and get integrative integrative treatments and healthy nutrition plans. Um, I, I'm really, I'm a foodie, I'm self-proclaimed foodie. I want sick people to be educated and be given those dietary lists when they check in a hospital or being told, look, this is a plant-based protein drink that's gonna be, give you all the things you need. You don't need to go home and eat the bacon. Or have a boost. Or have a boost. Have a boost? Have a boost, it's like a, uh, it's like a, they give it to you to old people in the oh, old folks' home. It's like exactly. a drink. It's like... It, Disgusting. Ugh. No, no, no. It has to taste good. Yeah. It has to taste good. So I've got a lot... You know, that's my charity of choice, obviously, now. Um, but I'm also really, really passionate about kids' cancer. I feel like as an adult, it's a horrible thing, especially with young, with a young family and at my age to get the diagnosis because it's, it's premature. Like, we shouldn't be dying of cancer in our 40s. Um, I understand a lot of you know, older cancers, and, that, and that's, it's, it's more expected, but kids' cancer is the one that really, really, really gets me, and they shouldn't have to lose their lives mm -hmm. at such a young age, or even go through any of these treatments, because they're kids, and they're losing their childhood, so, you know, kids' cancer, and, and cancer, um, ca uh, cancer, can oh, sorry, I forgot the name of it, <laughs> okay. yes, those would be my charities of choice, for sure, but kids' cancer is a pretty big one there.
Well, Jody, again, thank you so much for being here and being vulnerable and courageous and sharing your journey. Um, I know it's not just a physical battle, but it's a mental battle. So thank you for showing up today. And I know that our listeners are going to be very touched by your story and maybe you'll save a life. So hashtag, thank you. Hashtag check your poo. Check your poo. <laughs> Thanks, Jody. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for listening to The Vow, Voice of Women. We hope that this episode has inspired you. If you want more information on The Vow, visit our website at voiceofwomen.ca. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us spread the stories.